Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, Lewis sits down with master marketer Jerry DeVard. Lewis Carr is the founder of Waymaker, the Lewis Carr Internship Foundation, the Blueprint Men's Summit, president of media sales at BET Networks, and author of Dirty Little Secrets. Jerry DeVard is a master marketer who has served as the chief marketing officer and on the board of directors for numerous companies from a wide array of industries. She's also the founder of the Black Executive CMO Alliance, or BECA. Today, she'll be sharing her career experiences, wisdom, vision, and advice to Waymaker listeners concerning their own success. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Lewis Carr, founder of Waymaker. And today at the Waymaker Fireside Chat, we have the privilege of interviewing Jerry DeVard, marketer extraordinaire, and my very, very good friend. Welcome, Jerry. Hi, Lewis. How are you? I am doing wonderful now that you're here. It's an exciting time in our industry, and I couldn't be happier than to talk to someone like you who has been such a pioneer and an icon in the marketing and advertising industry. So welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat. I'm so happy to be here with you today, Lewis. So Jerry, you have been a chief marketing officer for brands such as Office Depot, ADT, Nokia, Citibank. Can you tell our listening audience what does a CMO really do? And how important <laughs> is that job? You know, and that's a great question, Lewis, because my mom always asked me that. Because one of the things that is uh, interesting about my background is that I've worked in so many different industries. So I've worked in cosmetics, financial services, telecommunications, retail, consumer packaged goods. And my mom says, well, how are you going into all these industries without having worked in them before? And I say to my mom, what marketers do, what good marketers do is build desire. They build demand and preference for a product. And you do that in order to drive a profit, to derive a profit, but also to serve the needs of your customers or consumers. So marketers are all, the, all about building desire and preference for for the brand or the service that you're selling. So data says that most CMOs only get to keep their job about three years. Why is that? Yes, uh, that, you know, and, and that statistic is true. That statistic is true. And really what happens if anyone thinks about this that's listening, I always say that the chief marketing officer is the hardest job in the C-suite. And that is because a lot of people feel that what we do in building demand and preference is subjective, that it's not a science to it. And so I used to always tell my CFO, I don't tell you how to close the books every month, but everyone's got an opinion about what marketers are doing. And it starts out that, you know, my husband, wife, significant other did not like, or why did you use that? Or that message wasn't. And, and so when you look at it and you look at the constant second guessing uh, and, and, you know, unsolicited advice that you get around, you know, what you're doing, marketers have to develop a thick skin. You have to be open to that feedback. You can't take it personal. You have to be able to say, that's a good thought. Let me, let me think about that and come back to you. 
Sometimes the answer is that the reason why we did that is because of the research and the data that we have says that it's relevant to the target. You may be watching or enjoying or looking at something, but if you're not in the target, it may not resonate with you. So we're smart enough to understand what it is we need to do. I always say there are two things that you need to do to be a successful marketer, and really two. You have to know what you're doing and who you are reaching. Who are you selling what to? Know who it is and know what it is you have. Sometimes that doesn't work, but marketers, the reason why our tenure is so short is because many times when the results aren't there, the thinking is, well, we can get someone that can get us the results that we need without understanding that you need the right budget and support and resources and patience to understand what's going to work and what's not. So, so marketers really have to take it upon themselves to clarify what the objectives are and what success looks like so no one else is determining that for you. Well, the industry has this history of not hiring people of color. You've sort of been able to jump over that hurdle many times. Why is that? Is, is, is it sort of like some people say, you know, people of color, that's just a thing that they can't do. Why does that still exist today? Well, you, you are on the issue because uh, the ANA did a study that said that 3% of all chief marketing officers are black. Uh, of, the, of the ones that they surveyed, they surveyed almost 600 uh, chief marketing officers that are members of the Association of National Advertisers and only 3% of them are black. But here's, here's the, the interesting thing about that low number. It has not changed in three years. It was 3% in 2018, it was 3% in 2019, and it was 3% in, in 2020. It will be interesting to see what happens in 2021, but that statistic has not changed. And here's what the issue is, Lewis. Many people try to characterize this as a supply problem in that we can't find any black chief marketing officers or people that can take on that role. When it, it's never been a supply problem, it's always been about demand and opening up the aperture of consideration for who can be a chief marketing officer and what you're looking for. No one has dared to say that we can't do the job, right? There, there are too many black marketers that are out there that are doing phenomenal things for their companies and for themselves and for you know, organizations. But when, what happens is, is that when you're coming to the C-suite and you're looking for someone that can assume that role, people tend to look for people that look like themselves or people in their network or people that they know because there's a comfort level in that. But really opening it up and saying, here's the criteria and we want you to go out and find people of color, black marketers that can fit that bill. That's another level of consideration. So what I'm hoping to do uh, is really open people's eyes to you know, the, the inventory and census of senior black leaders out there that can be chief marketing officers so they will consider them. So <clears throat> Jerry, I have, before COVID, I had attended the last 24 ANA conference, the Association of National Advertisers. And over the 24 years, the attendance sort of went from about 1,500 to over 3,000. But one thing that has been consistent is that there's been less than 10% of people of color attending that conference. And there's a lot of good information that comes from that conference. Give them a lot of credit for that. 
Why do you think the percentage of attendees when it comes to people of color has been so low? That is a question that I have um, had many conversations with the leaders of the ANA over the years as a member, as a member and looking around the room and saying, why aren't there more black people in the room? And also looking at the initiatives that the ANA was driving to try and get more black people in the room because the ANA is, is not unique in that aspect of lack of representation, lack of participation. And they are trying to unlock the reasons why. So the, to be a member of the ANA, your organization, your company is an ANA organization and companies then bring the representation to the table. So this starts further back and not who's coming to the conference, but who's working at your company and who's working at your company at the level that would be invited and be able to attend the ANA. So what you're seeing on display is a lack of the pipeline. And, and quite frankly, that's why I felt compelled to do something about it because I was really tired of sitting back and looking around the room and looking on main stages and reading articles and seeing the best, you know, the best of roundups and not seeing black representation. And this idea that somebody ought to do something about it or wow, that's a shame, I, I got tired of that. And I said, okay, you know, the, the old adage that we say to ourselves, if it's to be, it's up to me that I had to move from just being a victim of the situation because victims are unable or unwilling to change their circumstances and being much more deliberate about creating the change that I wanted to see. Because I know that these organizations are working on it, but it's not happening and it's not happening fast enough. So I had to take on the responsibility to say, I want to do something about it. So to that point, you have started an organization called Becca. Tell us about its mission and its purpose. BECA stands for the Black Executive CMO Alliance. And I went round and round with, okay, what's the right, I wanted there to be, a, I'm a marketer, right? So I wanted there to be an acronym that would be easy because the Black, the Black Chief Marketing Officer Alliance, Black Executive Chief Marketing Officer, it's a mouthful. So yeah. I wanted there to be, you know, kind of a, a nickname for it and to be recognized. And I started the Black Executive CMO Alliance and I was very um, intentional about making it black. It was not people of color. It was not diverse populations. It was not BIPOC. It was black because the data showed that that's where the need was. And that was my experience. I have lived life, my professional career as a black marketer. And so much like they say, you write about what you know, I wanted to develop this organization from a standpoint of what I knew. And I knew that there were many others like me out there that weren't being showcased, featured, leveraged in terms of the genius that they had. And so sitting you know, in my home during COVID with everyone else figuring out what they could do, uh, I decided that there was a need for the idea of black marketers to be front and center. And so I, created the name first, I trademarked it. I started and filed for my 501c3 status, uh, got a charter, and then started having conversations with people that I so admire and respect in this industry that were you know, the, the top of the food chain marketers of large multinational corporations, either in their past or currently. And all these people are very busy. No one's sitting around trying to figure out what to do. 
they're on their job, they're on their game. But as I talk to them about the need and the legacy of it not being about us, because what more did we have to prove, but helping others, I found people that were very like-minded. I found people that said, yes, Jerry, I'm busy, but I'd really like to help you accomplish what it is we're talking about. Because they were all doing this independently, all mentoring and coaching, but it was the power of one versus the power of many. And so I, I spent time, you know, an hour to two hours talking to people about where they were in their careers, what they wanted to accomplish, the lessons that they'd learned, and would they be willing to roll up their sleeves and go on this journey with me about sending the elevator back down and filling it up with young black marketing professionals that would be courageous and confident and understand that they had everything within them that they needed in order to be successful. And the more conversations I had, the more people were like, yes, Jerry, let's do this. And, and we all said, it's amazing that nothing like this exists. So in creating the thing that doesn't exist, you have the ability to open people's eyes and create the blueprint for what legacy and what helping and what support really looks like. So you, you just said something, Jerry, that was very intentional. And I don't know if I've heard this from anybody. You said you are a black marketer. Most people in your position say, I'm a marketer that just happens to be black. Talk about that intentionality and why you addressed it that way. Well, because being a black marketer, the world that I see, the lens that I see are those that are not heard and seen, that have amazing stories and amazing experiences and amazing insight, but it can be overlooked for the larger voices. And so I come to any situation looking for something that's missing, that thing that everyone else has not looked for or scratched at or tried to consider, because that's really what makes the difference. When you can find something that no one else has looked at or thought about or leveraged and make that the basis of insight that's gonna drive a differentiation, that's the beauty. And, and as a black female marketer, I bring that, that sense of intuition and, and compassion and enthusiasm for things that are different to decisions that I make. Whereas if I were in the majority, uh, I would probably not think about that. I, and, and I also, as a black marketer, I know that you know, uh, as people, we are at the forefront of everything that is exciting and relevant and current. And so I bring that to the table as well. How has the industry responded to your organization? You've been, you launched back in the spring, am I correct? March 30th. How has so the industry responded? We are now about four months old and the response has been overwhelming. And the response has been overwhelming for many reasons. A, the time is right. People are really starting to um, understand and look under the hood about what they were thinking, biases that they had, conscious or unconscious. We don't even talk about unconscious anymore because a bias is a bias if you're aware of it or not. And recognizing that what we were doing was not enough. And so when you have an organization that is focused on Black marketers trying to change the industry and open people's eyes, people have said, we've been trying to do that. We'd love to do that. And then you look at the impressive 
roster of members that are in this organization and that got people's attention. And then some of the things that we are looking to do in terms of you know, developing this next generation, companies, CEOs, chief diversity officers, heads of HR have reached out and said, how can we partner with Becca? Because your mission is aligned with what our mission is. And the mission of Becca, uh, as, as I thought about creating this organization, I wanted to create a trusted safe space for black marketing executives to come together in order to share, learn, elevate, and pay it forward in order to create opportunity and access for the current and next generation of marketing leaders. So the first part of that was about black CMOs coming together and sharing and learning from each other, their experiences, their triumphs, their challenges, their obstacles, their opportunities, sharing and learning, but then elevating. I wanted to elevate the profession of marketing because I love marketing, I, I, it has served me well, I enjoy it. I was fortunate enough to find something that I was good at and that I enjoy, which is actually the mix you have to do. You can't be good at it if you don't enjoy it, you're not gonna enjoy it if you're not good at it. So in, in finding a profession that I loved and being able to get inside of people's heads and understand why they buy and, and the decisions that they make and translating that into a business and being responsible for an organization's top and bottom line, driving that top line and understanding and managing that bottom line because I was a PL marketer. I, I didn't do pretty campaigns. I drove revenue. And so being able to do that in a way that brought that to the forefront has resonated with a lot of people. So it's been more successful than I thought and validated the importance and the need for it. Not that even if people didn't like it or didn't kind of you know, turn out or turn up for Becca as they have, I knew it was important and as did all of the members that joined that have skin in the game. But it's nice to see the number of people that have knocked on our door to partner and sponsor and support and be an ally. That's great. Uh, how many members do you have? We currently have 28 members. And how do people get information about the organization? How, how do they find out about you? And so, you know, here's your opportunity, Jerry, to, to, to give a promo. <laughs> well, they, of course, listening to you and, your, and, 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 and our interview here, but our, our website is called blackexec.com. So, you know, black, E-X-E-C, blackexec.com. And we have information about our members, our mission, our stories, uh, you can submit if you're interested in being a member, uh, the criteria we can, you know, if you're interested in being mentored, uh, if you'd like to sponsor, if you'd like to partner. So it really, all of that information is on uh, blackexec.com. And, and Jerry, we're, we're gonna change to another subject. You, you, you have so many successes in your career. You have also served on so many corporate boards. You know, the, the sort of creme de la creme. Uh, uh, a lot of Black executives can have successful careers in their day jobs, but very few have been able to elevate it to serving on corporate boards. So you serve on corporate boards that include Under Armour, Cars.com, Service Master, and you also do some what we call Waymaker work by serving on the board of your alma mater, Spelman College. And I'm gonna to get to later on and let you talk about HBCUs. 
But what is the real key slash secret for people of color getting on corporate boards? It's almost like this unlocked secret that people don't know. Kind of tell our listening audience how you did it. And as we sort of look forward through 2021 and beyond, what are some of the key things people need to do in order to get themselves on corporate boards? Mm-hmm. And I love that question, Lewis, because you know my first board, it was, I wasn't even thinking about joining a board. I, I, I joined my first corporate board in my early forties. It was the Tommy Hilfiger board. I got a call from someone that said, we'd like to talk to you about you know, the Tommy Hilfiger board. And I thought, wow, that's very cool. Yes, let's have a conversation. And I was really, you know, I, I, I was a fan of the brand, uh, understood the business and uh, was, you know, fortunate enough to have been selected for that. It was, um, it was only later that I realized that, you know, the, the, the hen's teeth, the, you know, how few of us were being selected for boards. And so I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that now and thinking about how I got that call when I wasn't working it because I've seen people work it really, really hard uh, and it not necessarily come to fruition, but I think things are changing now. Things are, I don't think I know, things are changing and we are being considered because we didn't just get smart and prepared and ready to serve on boards. As we say, been ready, born ready. But again, when I talk about opening up the aperture of consideration, opening up the funnel of who you consider, because before, you know, a lot of companies said, well, we want you to be a CEO. We want you to be in the C-suite already. We want you to, this was my favorite. We want you to have served on a corporate board already. Again, perpetuation of the same people over and over again. If you're not gonna give me the opportunity to serve on a board and boards are requiring me to do that, then I'm never going to do it. So, So let's go back to, you know, what I did to get that call. And that is about being damn good at what it is you do, period, full stop. Be good at it and be good at it so that your organization gives you the opportunity for great assignments and promotions and, um, you know, working on things that matter so you can have results. So you're not just a, a cogwheel just sitting there making sure that it goes by, but you're actually driving change. That's the first thing. Then what you have to do is you have to be able to become a master at self-advocacy. When I say a map, you have to advocate for yourself. And how do you advocate for yourself? You advocate for yourself by being able to speak up in, in rooms that matter to say that these are my accomplishments and this is what I'd like to have as a result of those accomplishments, be it a promotion or an assignment, uh, that's really important. But then you have to get out of your cocoon. So many people have no profile outside of their organizations. You say their name and people go, huh, who's that? You can't do that. It's great to be a success and a legend in your organization. But if those are the only people that know you and the outside world doesn't, then that's a problem. So you have to find trade organizations that are important to you become a member, a a leader, try and join the board of that organization, but also, you know, be on the main stage, be someplace where you can speak about what's important to you and what you know. All these trade organizations have conferences and summits and podcasts and, and, but is your voice being heard? Are you the person that they're reaching out to, to talk to? And if you're not, then you need to be able to sharpen the pencil on what your message is and start getting that out there. 
so that when there is a main stage, when there is a microphone, when there is a story or article that you are being quoted and they want to quote you because you bring some expertise and some gravitas to a situation that is needed. So get outside of your bubble, get on a main stage or be interviewed or featured or talk about what it is that's important so your name becomes someone that people want to meet. That then people go, oh, all right, I heard her, I saw him, I read about her, and that gets the attention of search professionals and heads of HR uh, and all kinds of people and board members that say, you know what, I heard Lewis Carr, I heard Jerry DeVard, I like what they said, we need that expertise in our boardroom or we need that expertise in our C-suite because it's the same network that is building the C-suite as is building the boardroom, recruiters, board directors, executives, and you want to be on that radar. And, and by the way, you also have to be able to have a conversation with people within three minutes or two minutes that says what it is you do in a way that they don't even know you just hit them across the face with why you're ready for that opportunity. It's not just chit chat about the weather and is this a great conference and you know, where are you going for dinner? It's, hi, I'm Jerry Vard. I've worked in marketing for the past, you know, 15 years, working on a big assignment now that's going to generate a significant amount of revenue and market share to my organization. And I'm really excited about bringing that um, to a greater audience. Very good answer. Thank you so much for that. So, Jerry, those of us here at the Waymaker community, we don't believe anyone has become a success without Waymakers. Tell us about some of the Waymakers that have uh, intentionally uh, intervened in your journey. Well, you know, I am nothing without my mother, Dr. Jean DeVard Kemp. My mother was a single mom raising two children divorced my father because she wanted to go back to school. She came to New York City um, to take care of a very sick aunt. She was the oldest girl, so she was dispatched to New York City and took care of my aunt, but she had to leave college. She had finished two years of college. She came to take care of my aunt, met my father, got married, had two kids, and started at, you know, when we were five and seven, she started to say to my father that she wanted to go back to school. And my father said, well, why would you want to do that? You're the mother of my children. You don't need that. You're good. You're good. And she's like, no, I'm not good. I, I want to go back and finish my, my degree. And he was adamant that she didn't do that because he had a company. He had a moving company. It was called the Barden Sons. And he felt that she should be happy with that. How dare you have dreams of your own? And so my mom packed us up in the middle of the night, got in the car, drove from New York, to, to Florida, back home where she was from, um, and started applying to schools. She applied to several schools and she was always very smart. So she got scholarship and stipends as a you know, single mother with two children. My mom single-handedly went back to school and got her finished her four-year undergraduate degree. She got her master's degree. She got her EDD and she got her PhD, all with two little children in tow. So she didn't sit me down and say, okay, Jerry Lynn, this is what she called me because my middle name is Lynn. Okay, Jerry Lynn, this is how you're gonna do it. I had a front row seat. 
I watched this fearless woman conquer the world with two children, understanding that nothing was gonna get in the way of an education which would allow her to provide more for her children. So she is 86 years old. We talked to her, I talked to her twice a day, if not five times a day. She's very much an integral part of my life. So that's where it started. I think the second phase of my life was Spelman College. And I always say that I love Spelman more than I should love an inanimate object, right? Because Spelman can't love me back, but boy, do I love Spelman. And you said I, I, I served on the board of trustees for nine years. And what Spelman teaches the women that are fortunate enough to walk through those gates is that you are going to change the world. Don't bring any excuses here. Like, because we all had like, well, somebody didn't like me because I was black. Somebody didn't like me because I was a woman. Someone didn't like me because the way I wore my hair. All those excuses go out the door because everywhere you look, Lewis, you see incredible women doing amazing things from the president to the deans to your professors to your tutors. And you come into this environment and you go, all right, I am going to be one of these powerful women because there's nothing holding me back. There is this song that we sing that was written by a Spellman Knight. It's called, It's My Choice and I Choose to Change the World. And we sing that and we cry because it's real. We choose to change the world. And I looked around and gained the confidence to know that I was learning, because you can get a great education anywhere. But I learned that I could have a great education, be authentic, be a badass, and go out there and, and join my fellow Spelman sisters that were out there doing amazing things. So that was the next step. And then I think about people that made a difference in my career from, you know, the assistants that were there to leaders that saw something in me that I didn't see. I think about Bruce Gordon, Bruce Gordon, who is someone that I love and adore, who I was fortunate enough to meet in my career at Verizon, who was a leader that was respected from the mailroom to the boardroom, that if you walk down the hall with him, Every, he knew everyone's name. And so he taught me about really relationships mattering, but was always there with an ear to uh, provide the guidance that I needed with no, no judgment, but knowing me. So there were so many people that impacted, you know, and then I think about, I also made the right decision early on to marry the man that I did, who could be the perfect saucer to my cup. Because I always say if I hadn't married him, I think I would have been maybe on my fifth husband by now or maybe not married. But I married someone who could champion me, but also be himself. That's great. Great, great. And, and I'm smiling, Jerry, because anybody I've ever interviewed who went to Spelman gets excited about the question. So I don't know, you know, what they give you to drink there. It's real. The love is but real. The experience is real. Every single woman I've ever known who's been to Spelman is like when I ask the question, they just light up and like, yes, I, I'm so I glad know. you asked and, me. And, and before everyone says, no, I light up about my alma mater, I'm going to say, no, I don't think so. I think we turn up much you know, harder because we understand the, the beauty and the, the preciousness of what we had. So if you didn't go to Spelman, make sure your daughter, granddaughter, niece, cousin goes. Jerry, corporate America is a very complicated journey, especially for people of color and women. Give our listening audience some keys to navigating corporate America. 
Yes, it's tough, Lewis. Lewis, <laughs> it's it is really tough. It, it, it is a grind and it will it can grind you down. It can make you, you know, this term gaslighting, it can make you think you're crazy. It's like, was that me or was that? And so you really have to be develop a sixth sense about what's going on. You have to also build authentic relationships with people that can tell you what's going on. Some people are fortunate enough to have that with their boss, to have the support and allyship and partnership for your success because you can't make yourself successful on your own. Someone's got to see it and amplify it and put you out there and say, yes, you know, this individual is ready. But you have to, I, I go back to saying, you've got to plant your seed in the right fertile ground, right? You got to know if this is the, the, the industry, the category, the company, the job you want. Because if all that gets mixed up, then it's not going to lead to success. So you have to say to yourself, am I really doing what I enjoy doing? Am I getting recognized for it? Have I been sitting here grinding away in the same role and not being promoted, not giving, getting more opportunities, not enjoying it? Well, then change it. You don't have to stay where you are because you have to understand playing the game of being successful means mastering the art of demonstrating your ability, but also putting yourself in surroundings where you can succeed. Because sometimes you can be the greatest thing in the world, but if you're not in an environment that's gonna support that and champion that and allow you to fail, because I've made mis many mistakes in my career. I have failed miserably, but I've been able to get back up on my feet with people that recognize that yes, there's more there than that failure. Because as blacks, we don't get second and third chances, right? We don't get the benefit of the doubt. We don't get the, oh yeah, that was just a stumble. It's like, mm, told you, mm, told you. So you have to recognize that and then be very intentional about a plan. And that's when you have to talk to others. You have to be really honest about your culpability, like how much of this is due to me and how much of this is due to the company, the situation, the people I work with and get help from people that you admire and trust that can be honest with you. I used to always say that I'd come home and I'd say something to my husband and he'd say, Jerry, you were wrong. I said, no, I wasn't wrong. He's like, you were wrong. It's like, okay. I needed to hear that. And then now what am I going to do about it? Because it's not falling down. That's the failure. It's not getting back up. And we know that. But how you get back up is who helps you, who reaches out and gives you that hand to get you out of the ditch so that you can find your footing. For most of your career, <clears throat> you've been a wife, a mom, and a senior executive. There's always been this question, can women really have it all? So that's the question to you. Can women really have it all? Yeah, I, and, I don't, and, and it's interesting that that question, can women have it all? Because now it's like, can anybody have it all, right? As, as more, you know, traditional roles of the women did this and the man did that, it, it's starting to blur. I, I do know that women still do the lion's share of what it takes to manage a household. Uh, but, but obviously, me and many other women are evidence that yes, you can have it all. Because as you said, two wonderful, amazing children that if I did nothing else in the world but launch two human beings that are as kind and considerate and appreciative and loving as they are, I, I'm done. But then I have an amazing grandson. So I'm blessed with that. I have a, a great husband. So, and I've had a great career. So yes, you can have it all. 
the question is, how do you keep and manage it all? The first thing is that I came along during a time when women had actually given up on trying to have it all. It's like, I can't have a career and a husband. So women that were older than me, you found a lot of women that didn't even try. And then there are women like me that really wanted to have a partner, but kind of haven't found the right person. And so I think that that's okay too, because the worst thing in the world is to be with somebody that you can't depend upon, that's not going to support you, that you're not going to love, and it's not going to love you. But you can have it all, and you have to make sure that it's when. It's like, and, and also you have to define what all is. You know, children may not be for someone, for everyone. You know, getting married may not be for someone. Uh, but if you want to have a career and a life and be good at it and not uh, be one that is always second guessing it, you're going to find that there are going to be ebbs and flows. There are going to be times when you feel like, oh, crap, I just totally blew what I was supposed to be doing at work because I had family. But the thing that I always tried to do was never flub getting family right. I, I am almost too um, fierce about family. Uh, we had dinner every night as a family at seven o'clock. We sat down as a family and had dinner. I eyeballed my children to talk about what they were doing and what their lives were like. And that was really important to me. I say that because, you know, uh, a lot of people think that grabbing food and talking and texting, you gotta make that time. And then when, when you get the family right, then the job becomes how am I organizing myself in a way to be effective and having people that can help me along this journey? Because again, you can't do it all on your, on your own, but you can pick the right partner, pick the right partner, pick the right career, pick the right job, and then do the things that are important, which to me are launching your children in a way that you can be happy and they can be happy. That's a great, 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 great answer. So when you... Think back, Jerry, a number of years. What's the best advice that someone ever gave you? The best advice it, um, was from my mother who, you know, and mothers do this. And sometimes it sinks in and sometimes it doesn't. But my mom would always tell me, Jerry, you are smart. You are going to go places. My mom said that to me from an early age which is why when my daughter was three years old, we had this call and response. I would say, Brooke, who are you? And she'd say, I'm special. Because I didn't want that to be something that was unique or foreign. You are special. So my mom told me that I was special and I believed her, right? I believed her. She also though taught me humility about being special. Uh, I tell the story back to Spelman when she was meeting me for lunch on campus and I was walking across the campus. And I passed about five or six people. And by the time I got to my mom, my mom was standing there. She said, Jerry Lynn, I just saw you pass five people. You didn't say hello to one of them. And I said, oh, mom, I saw her yesterday or I'm going to see her later. She said, no, no, no. She said, when you walk by people, you acknowledge them, you say hello, and you start a conversation because she knew that that mattered. She said, Jerry, you are, at the time I was, I'm 5'10". She said, Jerry, you're tall, you're direct, you have opinions. <laughs> that is going to rub some people the wrong way. You have to work at diffusing that. You have to work at diffusing that and getting people to know who you are before they think about what you are. And so she taught me this, this confidence to be special, but also the humility of how to wear that. Wow, wow. 
Well, Jerry, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak to our Waymaker audience. Uh, clearly the information you have given us today, we can apply in multiple ways as we sort of you know, continue our own personal journey. So the Waymaker community and the Waymaker brand says, thank you, Jerry DeVard. We appreciate you so very much. Oh, well, thank you, Lewis. And if I could just say one thing, I think that, you know, in this time of, you know, COVID and lockdowns and, and everyone thinking about what's important, I do think that we need to double down on our mental health and what's important for us to get life right for us, because there's so many people that depend upon us. And if we're not right, if we're not centered, then it gets to be a, a chain reaction. And I think about, you know, my son who comes to me and says, mom, what do you think about this? I have to be in the right frame of mind to be able to give him advice uh, and to take the advice that he gives me all the time. And the same thing with my daughter and my family. So be right mentally with yourself. And, and if there's something that's not right, you know, deal with it. Don't just, don't just put it off and say, yeah, I'm gonna shake it off or it'll pass. Get right with that. And, and, and after that, Lewis, I could talk to you for hours. So thank you very much for having me. Uh, and, and I look forward to continue our conversation off camera, off the mic. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Lewis. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr and Jerry DeVard. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. You can connect with Jerry and Becca by going to blackexec.com. Don't forget to claim your first six months of the Waymaker Journal free at waymakerjournal.com. And be sure to enter the Waymaker giveaway by going to waymakercontest.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode. 